Good morning again. It's good to be here this morning. Um, this morning, if you would, open your Bibles um, to Matthew chapter 11. Um, we will continue our study uh, in Matthew's Gospel this morning. Now, over the past few weeks, Mitchell has led us through Jesus' second main discourse in Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapters 9 and 10, where Jesus teaches his apostles what to expect as they are sent out on mission. Jesus told the apostles that they and we should expect opposition and persecution on mission in this world. He warns them that there will be some who will accept his message and him as the Messiah, but others who won't, and that this message will even cause conflict among families and that they, may, they will be rejected and persecuted for what they proclaim. Now this week, we turn to chapter 11, and we see where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Where Jesus' teaching is brought to bear in the life of his greatest advocate, in the life of John the Baptist. But before we read God's word together, would you go with me to him in prayer to ask for his help? Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for the great love that you have for us through Jesus Christ and that you have poured into our hearts by your Spirit. We thank you for the good news of the gospel this morning that you have revealed to us in your word, and we know that your word is living and that it has the power to change us. So we ask that by your Spirit, you will soften the hardness of our hearts Open our ears and our eyes, that we may hear what you teach and delight in your ways. In Jesus' glorious name, amen. Would you prepare your hearts with me to receive God's holy word from Matthew chapter 11. I'll be reading verses 1 through 19. This is God's word for us this morning. It is trustworthy and true, and he gives it to us in love. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. 
For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the word of the Lord. I wonder who in this room has ever been discouraged. Though discouraged doesn't seem quite strong enough a word for what I'm thinking of. Maybe something more along the lines of disheartened or even dejected by life's circumstances. Maybe you got your hopes up, made plans, envisioned the way things would be, pictured a particular life for yourself, only to have those plans, that vision, that picturesque life not turn out the way you expected. You found yourself sitting at your kitchen table, face in your hands, a sinking feeling in your gut, saying this isn't the way it was supposed to be. Well, that's exactly where we find John the Baptist this morning. The story of John the Baptist is one that kind of lingers in the backdrop of Matthew's gospel, and it crops up in just a few places. And in Matthew 3, we saw John identify Jesus and baptize him in the River Jordan. But shortly after that, almost in passing, Matthew mentions that John had been arrested. The herald of the Messiah, the one who the prophet Malachi foretold would come before the great and awesome day of the Lord, had been arrested. And as we read in this morning's passage, he finds himself discouraged. And even second-guessing whether the one that he met in the wilderness is in fact the one that he had been expecting. So I want us to see a few things in the text this morning. Our outline is simple. We're going to see the doubt of the prophet, the response of the Christ, and the proclamation of the kingdom. So let's start with the doubt of the prophet. Would you look with me at verses 1 through 3? When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? As I said earlier, the scene has shifted from the teaching of Jesus in chapter 10, where he described the sort of persecution and suffering that his disciples should expect, to what seems to be almost a case study in Christian suffering with John the Baptist's imprisonment. Now, since it may be difficult for us to get the full impact of John's circumstances here in Matthew 11, let me try to paint a picture for you. John's arrest 
is mentioned briefly in Matthew 4, as I said, but we find out later in chapter 14 that John was arrested by Herod, the Tetrarch, because he had rebuked Herod for marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. In other words, he was proclaiming God's law and found himself suffering and persecuted at the hands of the ruler of the land. Moreover, Herodias, the woman with whom Herod was committing adultery, was so angry at John's rebuke that she wanted him dead. Now, you can begin to see the source of John's questioning. How, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of things not going at all the way that he expected, asking of Jesus, are you the one? After all, John was the appointed herald of the Messiah, the one crying in the desert, preparing the way for the coming king. He'd done so faithfully. He even identified the Christ and baptized him in the River Jordan. He witnessed the descending Holy Spirit and the loving proclamation of God the Father. The kingdom had arrived. This was the time when justice would roll down and God's judgment would come upon the earth. Yet here was John, in prison, bound and persecuted, likely anticipating his imminent death, experiencing the shame that he would never have expected would accompany the ministry of Jesus. Was he crazy? Was he wrong? Had he misinterpreted the prophecy? Had he misidentified the man in the wilderness? I thought the Lamb of God was going to bring the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that I had announced. And if this is the kingdom of God, then what am I doing here? If the Messiah was to enact judgment, why is there still so much injustice in the world, so much evil? As far as John could see, the world was as wicked as it was before Jesus began his ministry. How many times do we hear this question today? If God is sovereign, why? How often do we ask this question in our own lives? How many of you feel that way this morning? How many of you feel stuck in circumstances you never expected, couldn't have imagined? How many of you feel like you're just waiting on God to bring healing and deliver you from whatever life's throwing at you right now? If God is sovereign, if the king is reigning, why do we continue to see wickedness and suffering all around us? Where is God? What grounds are there for accepting this Jesus? Is Jesus really God's king? Well, in a world where everyone is asking the question, who is Jesus, in an epidemic of so-called deconstruction, we need to take a lesson from John this morning and let Jesus speak for himself. So let's look at verse, verses 4 
to 6 together to see Jesus' response. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. First thing I want us to see here is the nature of Jesus' response. He doesn't grow angry or impatient with John's questioning. He doesn't respond harshly. Shouldn't you know better than this? No, he simply reminds John what is true. What the ministry of the Messiah was to look like. Jesus responds by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. You see, in Isaiah 35, the prophet said that by the power of the coming Messiah, the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And in Isaiah 61, the, the Messiah is said to bring good news to the poor. You see, by pointing John to these prophecies, these prophecies that John no doubt would know well, even if memorized, Jesus is saying, see? Don't you see that I'm fulfilling all these things? This is the ministry of the Messiah. The blind see, the lame walk. People are being healed and raised from the dead. But more than that, I'm preaching good news to the poor. Jesus is giving attestation to who he is in two ways here. By the fulfillment of his word in the scriptures and by the display of his power in his miracles. Jesus isn't shaken or frustrated by John's question. He simply points him to God's word and says, look, all these things are coming true. I am who I say that I am. You know, when our brothers and sisters are doubting, when life's circumstances drive us to despair and we throw up our hands and say, where is God in all of this? Is he really who he says that he is? We too need to point one another to God's word and remind one another of the truth of his promises. But that's not all Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah, is it? No. John knew that there was more to the story. In both instances, in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, there are prophecies of judgment that Jesus leaves out in his response to John. And John the Baptist would have known that. What happened to the part in Isaiah where the, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing? When everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, when they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Jesus leaves those parts out. You see what he's saying is, look, I'm fulfilling these words. 
The gospel is preached to the poor, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. Don't you see? But the time of judgment is not yet. Just as Jesus had taught the apostles in chapter 10, the gospel had indeed arrived. The kingdom of God was breaking through, but for now, suffering would still remain in the world. And those who follow Jesus would continue to face trials and persecution. He's saying, be patient, John. Just as you proclaimed, I am the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Judgment is coming. And the day when sighing and sorrow shall flee will be here soon enough. I'm accomplishing everything necessary to save you, to be your Messiah. For this reason, for the hope that we have in Christ, no matter what happens today, even if we were imprisoned and persecuted, just like John the Baptist, we would have no reason to do anything but praise God for what he has already done, for what he's done for you and for me. And that brings us to our last point, the proclamation of the kingdom. Let's look together at verses 7 to 11. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You see, after Jesus responds to John's questioning and sends his messengers back to him to report of what Jesus had said, he turns to the crowds as if to defend John and says, don't you see who John is? Who is it that you went out into the wilderness to see? Did you, see, did you go to see a reed that is easily shaken? Or did you go to see some wealthy man dressed in soft clothing? No, you went to see a prophet, and not just a prophet. The prophet who would come to announce the coming of the Messiah. You know, to be greatest is to be in a place of extraordinary blessedness. What was so blessed about John the Baptist? Jesus says that it was that it that what was so blessed about John the Baptist was that he was the one that announced his arrival. He introduced the Messiah. But Jesus says that there's never been anyone greater than John the Baptist for having done that. 
Now certainly Jesus himself quotes the Bible again and again, knowing that there are others who foretold the coming Messiah. Certainly Jesus himself knows that there is a sense in which Moses pointed out who Jesus is. After all, in John's gospel, he quoted Moses and says, the scriptures speak of me. He knows full well that Isaiah points to Jesus. He knows that David points to Jesus. He knows that the high priest points to Jesus. In all kinds of ways, through typology and words and symbolism, in all kinds of ways, these Old Testament characters point to Jesus. John the Baptist was not the first one to point to Jesus. So what made John the Baptist different? Just this. That in the peculiar providence of God, in the sweep across all of redemptive history, it fell to John. And John alone, at the end of all of that history, to say, there, that's the one. And that's what made John great. John the Baptist has a unique role to play in redemptive history, but Christ says that even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. That's because even more than John the Baptist, we can say, there, that's the one. Because you and I are on the other side of the cross. You and I are on the other side of the coming kingdom. The least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist because the least in the kingdom can point out Jesus more immediately and more clearly than John the Baptist could. Even our youngest saints in this room can say, I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for my sins. He bore my guilt in his own body on the tree. God accepts his sacrifice in my behalf. Can't you say that? So you can say more than John the Baptist could. John's categories were still Old Testament categories. He hadn't gotten it all put together yet. This sovereign messianic king, this word made flesh, also being the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who bears the sins of the world. And it's not just John the Baptist Even in five, six, seven chapters later, when Jesus' own disciples haven't gotten this full picture yet, Peter's response when Jesus foretells of his own death, no, not you. That will never happen to you, Jesus. How could it? You're the messianic king. Messianic kings don't die. They win. They come with fire to burn up all the chaff on the threshing floor. They come with a spear to transform everything. 
They don't die a death on a cross. And even when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what are his disciples doing? In the upper room, they still have no category for the resurrection. In the days of Jesus' earthly flesh, his disciples still didn't understand that he would be the great king and the suffering servant, the great high priest and the slaughtered lamb, the God-made man amongst us and the butchered death-dealing sacrifice. When we hear, when we hear the Christ, we hear it differently than the way that those first disciples did. When we hear the Christ, we already know how the story ends up. We know the Messiah, the king in David's line, would also prove to be the suffering servant who would go to the cross and rise from the dead. But the least in the kingdom of God can do that today, and that's what makes us great. All Christians, even the least in the kingdom, live in a place in time in redemptive history where the very core of our significance is bound up with the enormous, enormous privilege of bearing witness to Jesus Christ. That's what makes us great in the stream of redemptive history. That's what makes us great, greater than John the Baptist. Our very identity as Christians, our very significance is bound up with the fact that we can bear witness to Jesus more immediately and more clearly than any who came before the coming of the cross. That's why Christians who grow and walk with Christ can't help but love mission. We're part of it. We know that we ourselves are poor beggars telling other poor beggars where there's bread. And Christ himself has come, has become so glorious that we can't help but proclaim the message of the kingdom. I'll close with this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing them, was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. How can we help but to proclaim the message of God's kingdom? Just pray with me. Father, 
We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that though, like John, we are often prone to doubt and wonder in life circumstances as we face trials in this life. God, that you are faithful and steadfast. God, that you've given us Jesus and that you continue to nurture us, to grow us in our faith day by day as we engage your word and come to you in prayer. Father, I ask that you would do that even now, that you would, as we come to you in faith, help our unbelief. Father, we pray that these words will have changed our hearts this morning, that we would have grown deeper in our love and our affection for you, and that we would yearn and long to go out into this world proclaiming the good news that you've given us. In Christ's name that we pray. Amen.